Hello, Alaska. I'm Pat Race. And I'm Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Today, we're going to talk about communications, miscommunications, and the 10,000 bullet point letter of resignation recently sent, uh, blasted, dropped. Uh, well, I think he technically said it was leaked, but I like dropped. Okay, the 10,000 bullet point letter of resignation recently dropped by Alaska Senate Minority Spokesperson Frank Omidari. But first, news of the day. Uh, Matt, what's uh, going on in the state? <laughs> oh, there are so many things, and I am not caught up on like hardly any of them. I've uh, been out of the state uh, visiting family for Thanksgiving for the last week. Um, that sounds great. But I got I got some I, ch- I I don't know why I do it, but I, sometimes I check my email while I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw that. Okay, so the borough last week, you know, we were talking about air quality, everyone's favorite topic. Um, so I got um, this press release that came out. Um, the state is looking to split what's called the non-attainment area into two different areas, um, which would be cover North Pole and Fairbanks, and it kind of just recognizes that the two are different places. And uh, which anybody here could have told you. <laughs> so wait, does that just mean that the people in Fairbanks want to like have their tire fires, and the people in uh, North Pole want to have nice, clean, burning pellet stoves, and so they've decided to like split the air quality readings, or or I don't understand quite. So okay, so you want to get real nerdy real quick? Yeah, totally. So the Environmental Protection Agency uh, in 2009 started drawing this map. This is it says this is the place that has really bad air. And it's just big. It was a big area. The state fought it, said it should be smaller than it is because, you know, there's there's all sorts of regulations and penalties that sort of uh, are applied only to this area. So the EPA is asking the state to clean up the non-attainment area. Um, and so the whole area has to become clean for it to be considered entertainment i guess okay so right now to be like in compliance fairbanks and north pole both have to get their acts together and so what they're asking is to be split so that like one half of those people can can be okay and then the other half can get (laughs) hit with some kind of fine or or uh, exactly uh okay so i mean one of the big fines is that they lose uh road funds and so if like north pole is still really smoky then fairbanks could lose its road funds or if fairbanksans continue to love to burn their tire fires then north pole would lose its highway funds or vice okay. versa. so this is a way to separate it out so that that if one one area decides to keep burning then it doesn't affect the other area exactly okay um what else is going on the uh state uh buyout of trans canada is complete right so uh, I, right? I think we are, uh, what, 25% uh, owners in this project now? Yeah, of uh, 25% owners of an imaginary pipeline so far. Yeah, well, hey, that's a... <laughs> oh, I guess it should... Uh, the word I use in, in print is proposed pipeline. Oh, you don't <laughs> write imaginary? That would <laughs> no, be great. No, okay. I, um, and uh, let's see, locally they started uh, demolishing the Gastineau Apartments, which is the uh, building that burnt down here. Uh, gosh, Twice, what? right? Yeah, twice. <laughs> and uh, we have a problem in, in downtown Juneau with buildings burning down and then the lots being left sort of standing there in the middle of downtown. Oh, the the former Fairbanks North Star Borough is now on the board of the Alaska Gasline Development Corporation. So go get him, Luke. Oh, yeah. Okay. And do you know him? Yeah, yeah. So he is actually, um, oh, he was mayor while I was covering the borough um, pretty closely, and he uh, just uh, was term limited out. Um, seems like a pretty good guy to work with. I get the same sense that he is a pretty <laughs> good guy to work with, but I think the the criticism is is not that he's a bad guy to work with, but that he maybe doesn't have experience building imaginary pipelines. True, but yeah, he was one of the guys that did get behind. Uh, one of the main guys who helped put together the local um, interior gas utility in Fairbanks, which is this kind of also proposed gas utility that isn't quite actually functioning yet, but it's this municipal natural gas company. So he, he has at least the ability to write sign off on those sort of things. So, 
yeah, so there's stuff in the news. Um, but I'm excited to get into the, the main event here. Um, oh, me today, too. Today we're talking about a um, letter of resignation that was leaked uh, to the public. And this letter, uh, there's, a, there's a great article on it in the ADN, but it's what we're going to try and do today, I think, is just walk through it and, uh, and have a conversation about some of the... the uh, the things that he mentioned, because this this letter was not just a resignation; it was a commentary on um, our political system and how we communicate, which uh, I find much more fascinating than um, you know just the drama of the letter. I I, I really want to look at some of these things and actually ask you a lot of questions, Matt, because yeah. as a journalist, you're on the other side of this. Um, uh, can you, I, I guess maybe we could start off. You could tell me what is a what is an Alaska Senate minority spokesperson. Like, what, <laughs> what, what, what does that person do from your perspective as a journalist? Well, I, I think, so real quick, I think it's important to um, kind of understand what the Senate minority does in Alaska, which is, at least at right now, not a lot. Um, they don't have a whole lot of um, votes. They don't have a whole lot of bodies, thanks to redistricting. Um, so there are five people in the Senate minority right now. Yes, and, and they, that's one short of the the votes they would need to do any sort of blocks on anything with a majority. Right. So mostly what they're trying to do is just impress people with their ideas so that people will vote for them next time around. And maybe they can broaden their support. Is that is that kind of what they're going more, for? More, I mean, publicly. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that it's, it's almost unheard of for a minority member in either house to get any of their legislation passed, it really kind of takes um, a lot of work. And, and it always kind of is notable when a, a minority member passes something because the, the gatekeepers are the majority of the whole at every single step. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is really interesting to me, just right there. Like, it's not about the idea that's that's being floated. It's really about who's pushing it. And so you can be in the minority and come up with the best idea in the world and it'll be stopped or eaten up in committee or mm-hmm. reproposed by the by the opposition party, right? Exactly. So, and so stuff gets shot down simply because it has that minority D uh, letter next to the, the, the politician's name. Um, you do see, you know, you do see some success cases, but those are people who uh, are either carrying kind of softball issues or issues that they've spent years working up uh, support for. But even then, oftentimes it gets rolled into Republican-sponsored bills. I mean, you saw that this year with uh, Aaron's Law, yeah. The, the final version that passed was a, min- a majority member, even though it had been carried by a minority member for many years. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing is like, I feel like in the minority, your job really is to to try and find someone in the majority to help usher your ideas through. So yeah, let's jump into this letter here. Um, uh, and actually, let's actually let's just skip the whole letter part of the letter and get down to the the um the bullet points because i think that's where the really interesting stuff is yeah, um, and, and thank you to frank uh for for putting this into a very easy to follow uh bullet pointed list yeah and so that subheads and heads and everything. <laughs> it has so many subheads um i'm sure the formatting was not his original formatting it's it's uh it's like a waterfall um the it's the bullet points go down the side of the page and get narrower and narrower and narrower <laughs> and uh, I'm sure that whoever leaked it did that favor for him. Um, okay, so let's actually, let's start there with the leak. How does something like this get leaked and why? What do you think? So, yeah, I was kind of thinking about this. And I, I talked to a few people. Um, nobody that I talked to had the letter uh, before the ADN did, at least from my understanding. So it, I don't think it got super wide. But, you know, it, this sort of thing ends up in staffers' mailboxes and staffers forward it to people that they're confident might not leak it, but then those people might forward it to somebody else. There's a rabbit trail. That's interesting. So there's like this whole communications network underlying the the government process that um, it's sort of like, it's almost like its own form of check and balance, like where the, mm-hmm. the staffers have a chance to decide what <laughs> might leak out. Well, yeah. And so, I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean... He could have sent it. Someone else could have sent it. It could have someone maybe attached it to an email incorrectly. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's start going down this list. I highlighted a few things. I don't know if you want to start at the. Do you want to just? Do we want to read through it, or do we want to kind of like go to just straight to the interesting parts? Well, I got, maybe a quick summary of it uh, would be good. All right, lay it on me. So the first part of the letter um, really focuses on kind of the process or sort of the history. It's kind of this very very sort of personal look into his life just between him and, and the, the the senators who are his bosses 
um, you get a sense kind of uh, on the face of it, the real sort of core problem behind this resignation is that the job description and the job interview and what the job was has become are all kind of different things, and they're simply not working uh, for Frank. And because of that, he's decided to um, walk away. Um, but of course, you know, the really interesting part is where, you know, his ideas and their ideas aren't lining up. And, you know, the real kind of common thread through this is that he feels that the Democrats should be bold, they should be stronger, and they're not being it. They're kind of being mealy-mouthed, they're kind of looking to play it safe, and he didn't buy it. He's not liking it. Yeah, and and also the the other thing that really came through for me is that he feels like they do not have a plan. Like they're, mm-hmm. they, they have like a slogan or sort of a, a mushy idea of what they want to do, but they don't have like a real plan for how they're going to communicate what they're doing and what they are doing. Is that the sense that you got also? Yeah, that's a big problem that they don't have a plan. And that's really, you know, he hits it on it right in the beginning of the letter where he writes, uh, do not punt. Do not settle for the least controversial slogan and you can concoct and then call that a communications plan. It's not. And so that's, I think, you know, this sort of unwillingness, I guess, in his, his eyes for them to be bold is really leading them to a really indecisive place where they're playing it safe and they're not taking any big steps either way because they're so worried about st- stepping out of line. And because of that, you know, who wants to build a plan around that? Yeah, and I feel I feel like there is an element to this letter of, um, you know, it, he's been doing this for a long time. He's been in communications for a long time. He has a, a real. Um, I feel like he has a real concrete um, idea of how you communicate, and um, it, this does not match his idea. So in some ways, he's nitpicking them for not stapling things right, but in some ways, he's really getting at the core of some big issues. Well, I mean, it's almost like, you know, if you were to hire a painter or something like that, like you can, he's like on one hand arguing about the the subject matter, but on the other hand, he's also arguing about the kind of brush strokes you're making. And so they're kind of two faceted things and you can call it nitpicking, but you know, the art of communicating is just as important as the kind of message you're going to be putting forward. I'd be curious what the vision statement is. Do you know what the, no, as a, I don't. You're, you're a journalist, right? You're supposed to know what the vision statement is from the, <laughs> the Senate minority. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I ha- probably have the press release actually that I haven't read. <laughs> That's uh, how does it work for you? Do, do they send you a lot of press releases? Do you get, um, like what's the frequency? Okay, so about maybe two or three a day from each caucus when it's getting busy. So I probably so that's that's eight to twelve. And then you take the press release and you change a few words and just publish it as an article. Oh uh, <laughs> no, I think I'm, the, the most time I do with most press releases is um, look them up later to find the cell phone of the person I, the person I need to talk to uh, on that press release. Okay, so. Um, and, and that was interesting to me, too. I mentioned this on Twitter, and Dave Donaldson, who covered the legislature for years and years, um, said he never used press releases. Like, that they were, you know, it, it wasn't a, a part of the reporting process. It was just sort of noise that they were spitting out. I mean, those aren't his words exactly, but that was, the, that was what I got out of it. And, 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 I, and I think, I mean, and the reporting on them has kind of become more meta, I think, where I, th- you know, I've written, sta- I've written staff reports before off of, and staff reports are typically um, those. If you ever see in the newspaper a staff report, it means that um, it, there's no like original reporting in it. It's all that is a press release written story typically. Oh, okay. And so you're not talking to anybody. It's typical the typical rule of thumb. And so sometimes you know you'll pull a quote from that, you'll rewrite it. Sure. So my question now is: Are there news organizations in the state that will just publish these press releases verbatim, or is pretty much everyone um, just kind of toss them or use them for a quote? I think anything anything worth its salt will be rewriting or do, using it to jump off to do legitimate reporting or maybe at most pulling a quote from it. And, you know, the, the most reporting you'll see on it from bigger organizations is going to be this kind of meta reporting where you see um, people referencing a press release. They will, you know, the story will say, you know, in a press release, and then the story will be kind of be about that poorly worded press release or something like right. that. Right. I've and actually, I've I feel like I've seen more and more of those stories. Um, like yeah. I've seen the ADN publish a lot of stories about like this is the here's an awful press release that we got. Look how awful it is. Yeah, and I think that <laughs> yeah. I mean that's kind of I think a little bit born out of frustration, but also just kind of you know it's sort of pulling the curtain back on 
ways people are trying to communicate to us and kind of to the public. And if this is a sort of weird way they're trying to do it, it's kind of, it becomes noteworthy on its own. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we can keep going through the letter, but my big question is like, are we in a post press release world? And, and this is just sort of something that's dying its death right now. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I think they have a place kind of, I think what you see the most effective sort of press releases quote i'm putting quote sneer quotes kind of around them are, quotes. Okay. are are sort of more direct communications now i think that's the whole thing you know is that these caucuses if they know what they're doing can communicate directly with the people that they're trying to do and this is kind of a new thing you know in the new last 10 years and this is the whole uh the big question that newspapers are trying to figure out is because you guys can all sort of circumvent us in a way you that was never been able to been done before and so you can communicate directly on facebook you can do it on twitter you can kind of do all these different things so the traditional press release in its old format is definitely i think dying as as far as a direct way to communicating i think it's so easy now to shoot off an email or pick up a phone and just get a hold of someone real quickly you don't have to spend like hours putting together press releases there are press releases that i've seen take hours to put together like i I have some of the quotes people give me the rough quotes and then the press release will come out an hour later and it's like hey dude just give me a call man yeah and the press release it seems like such a big formal barrier to actual real human communication at this point I, and I can see where it maybe made sense when you're mailing it out in the newspaper or wiring it to someone. But in the right now, when you have email and you have this like instant communication, or you can like just get a bunch of reporters in a Google Hangout, like what's it almost doesn't seem like it serves a purpose anymore. Well, and and they're not a lot of the times. There's nothing that in there that is at all surprising. Um, you know, I think and that, and a lot of times during session, you know, uh, the caucuses are preparing press releases like for a vote that they anticipate coming up later that day. And so you can see, like, sometimes you'll see in the hallways, like, draft press releases that say that they've already, they've passed a bill that they're, like, four hours away from passing floating around yeah, for approval. Like, and the quotes are already all in there. And the vote tallies, like, has a little, like, XX, you know. And um, I don't know how effective it is. Yeah. So when I was in college, I learned how to write a press release from one of my friends <laughs> and he's like this is what you do you make up a bunch of quotes and you put them in there and make sure you run them by the people that you're attributing the quotes to uh but it's okay if you just make them up and then write basically your article that you want them to publish and then hope that they just publish it and yeah, yeah. so i've i've now I've done that as uh as a mm-hmm. business owner and as an artist i've written press releases and no one has ever used them <laughs> <laughs> Dear listener, I'm sure you know by now that we have, you know, we hold press releases in a very low esteem around here. Um, but there is the one one useful part that I find for press releases is a, you know, the phone number of the person I need to get a hold of is that that, that to, the person I'll actually talk to. Yeah. Um, and, and two, the, sometimes there is useful um, background information in there. Right. And that that is that is actually useful when I, I get done with the story and I go, oh shoot. I don't remember this person's age or I don't know, you know, what city this is going on in or who you guys are or anything, something like that. Um, the background is really cool. You, you put in there, you say, you know, the Alaska legislature has been around since whenever. And that's yeah, that's useful for sure. So as a reporter, your ideal press release, the, the one that you want to receive is just really background information and like statistics. Yeah. Like just link me to the Wikipedia page. All right. <laughs> cool. Okay, so but let's get to it here. We've got okay. The future belongs to the bold, and this becomes a refrain throughout. Um, I feel like you should hit that one with like some reverb or something like that, like a real, uh, you know, if you can like hit the chapel setting on the. <laughs> the future belongs to the bold. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. So he he just keeps hitting this. The future belongs to the bold, and this is a refrain throughout the the document. Um, and I take that as his primary criticism. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the same th- riff he hits through this whole thing is this lack of boldness, you know, and this idea that, and I think a, you get the sense, at least in his eyes, that they think they are being bold. Right. So th- they think they're being bold, and he's saying they're not being bold, and he s- goes on to say, do not put your seats before your principles, which I think is a great sentence. Like, I want to cut that out and tape it on the wall up there somewhere. Um, <laughs> but it... It's this idea that 
these people aren't in there to defend their position. They're in there to, to enact the policy that suits the principles of the people who elected them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll, I'll read one more quote here. If you have decided upon a position because you're afraid to lose your seat, it almost has to mean you've decided to be like someone who might run against you. So he's think saying about that. He writes afterwards. Yeah. Think yeah. about think that. About, I wonder, do you think that the, uh, do you think the members of the, um, Senate minority, uh, read through this whole letter and have really reflected on it? Or do you think it's something that their staffers read and summarized for them? I don't know. I, it's hard to say. I, I read this as an outsider and I think it's all very interesting, but if they're writing, if he was writing this about me to me, I, I would have a tough time not like getting red in the face, to be honest. Yeah. So, oh yeah, it I don't know. Me off. Yeah, especially if especially if they believe they're being bold, and you saw that in actually the interview uh, the ADN did with um, Bill Wilkowski, Senator Bill Wilkowski from Anchorage, that he was talked about him being completely false. Well, I think if you're a politician, you almost have to believe you're being bold, even if you aren't, right? I mean, you have to believe you're doing the right thing, or else what's the point? Why are you doing it? Why are you making exactly. so much sacrifice? The key to messaging is not to think of the blandest thing you can say and hope you don't get an opponent. The key is to find a powerful way to talk about things you actually believe in and use it to kick the asses of all comers. Short of that, you're just a shadow of the people you don't like. Where's the fun in that? The seat doesn't belong to you. People gave it to you so you could lead. If you're doing something other than lead with it, well, think about that. Think about that. (laughs) It's, I mean, there's like a little bit of a, a poetic vibe to this thing. There's a lot of yeah. uh, like phrases that he repeats, and um, there's kind of like a timing and a shape to it. Well, this, I mean, this is kind of the letter I would write if I was, you know, have you have all this sort of pent up frustration. You know, you're kind of being blocked or or, or ignored on every front, and this is kind of your sort of pent up anger, I guess. Yeah, so here's here's an interesting part. He says, I know you're not used to a staffer speaking this bluntly. Staffers should speak bluntly. You should seek out people who will tell you the truth. I'm sorry if it's uncomfortable, but it's important. And so from my personal experience, the staffers up there, a lot of them have been around longer than the legislators. And mm-hmm. um, they have opinions, but they don't often voice them because that's not their role. Uh, well, like, yeah, I mean, it depends, I think. And it comes with age. I think you see a lot of the younger staffers who... I think look up to these people like they're maybe more than these elected officials. You know, they kind of build them up to be more, and they do kind of revere them. There's this higher level of respect, which is great, but at the same time, there is this kind of fear that if, oh, if I'm not in the good graces of them, then then where am I? You know, and and uh, so there is, I think, totally a fear on some levels um, uh, of confronting a lawmaker with something they don't agree with. That would, that would be. An- interesting position to be in as a, an employer uh and a decision maker is to to know that people aren't really always telling you what they think um for whatever reason they have like it would be kind of like pulling teeth to get someone to just give you kind of the blunt their blunt version of what they think but but yeah i mean you have to wonder though do some of these people even want that input you know i mean are I they know. convinced that they're are they so convinced that they're correct that any sort of even good nature or goodwilled uh, advice to the contrary is just totally um, rejected. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm scrolling down here a little bit, and it says lose or significantly change the news clips. Uh, What's he talking about there? What are the news clips? So in most offices or in caucuses or in something like that, um, there's basically one person who is reading just basically all the news, and they're just kind of aggregating it into one big email, and they'll either clip the important parts that they need to read or highlight them or some kind of form of basically reading the news, telling you what's the important they're part. They're doing usually what, what we did at the beginning of the show. They're reading the news, telling them what's interesting in the news and why it's interesting. Yes, but usually this comes in a daily e- morning email that is like six thousand words long and has literally every piece of news in it and is it prioritized no oh sometimes it is it depends on who's doing them yeah i mean so some of them are really good some of them are not so good some of them are really clipped um so is the assumption that they aren't reading the newspaper and that they need to be spoon-fed this information or i think the assumption is that they're not reading every newspaper so let's cut them some slack i mean I, i don't read every newspaper either yeah um 
but so they're, they're looking around at everything so uh, you know it, typically i think it, the way it works is that they'll read the news miner if they're from the interior they'll read most people read the adn in some kind of capacity but you know Fairbanksons might not be reading Juno's paper. Juno might, might might not be reading our paper, and so there might an, be stories that are of interest to everybody. Yeah. So it's an in-house news aggregate, like basically, aggregate. yes. It's like it's like what Google News does. It aggregates the news from a region. I wonder if yes. they know that they can use Google News to <laughs> aggregate the news from their region. Uh, yeah, I guess then yeah. you have to f- put a filter that says Alaska Legislature and pipeline, maybe. Yeah, I think you can do that. I think you can actually write code that does what they are uh, doing. <laughs> Let's see. Shh, you can put someone out of a job. We should, no, we could do that. We could provide that service. <laughs> oh, we can be yeah. the Alaska news aggregators. <laughs> um, actually, th- this is that was kind of something at, I was thinking about. I mean, he's point, criticizing. Yeah. He says that Mike spends half his time on this. That's a that's a part time job for someone who's probably paid quite a bit. We could that could fund the show <laughs> if, yeah, if, we, yeah, if we started we totally aggregating it, yeah. news for them. And we can and we can sell it to both the minority and majority in both parties, and uh, uh, so yeah. quadruple our income. Yeah. Oh, and we can kind of reprioritize it and and rehighlight them, so we're telling them what they want to hear. Yes, I like yeah. that. <laughs> okay, so what else is in here? Uh, figure out what you actually want to accomplish with social media before you tell your press people they need to be facebooking and tweeting more. I put together some metrics on our Facebook page going back about a year. It's dismal. So, so they, the staffers in each office are in charge of social media, or, or are these people actually like tweeting and Facebooking themselves? Sometimes like it kind of depends. You, you see, um, you know, I know, I know some offices are solely done by the staff. Some are done fifty-fifty with the staff and the and the uh, lawmaker. I get the sense that I know Les Guerra is in the House and not the Senate, but I get the sense that he's doing his own social media. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <it>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But, but this part, this actually, this section really kind of delights me, to be honest, um, because the the tweeting and the Facebooking thing is just like one of the most kind of um, almost cliched sort of additional requests in, in media now, I think, especially like in, in journalism, they're always saying, are you tweeting? Are you posting to Facebook? Are you getting those hits? And, 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 and I feel like, and his criticism is that figure out what you actually want to accomplish with this. And that is so, that is... That is key. Oh, I'm just making I'm making the OK symbol and oh, kissing my fingers. And oh, it's so good because that's the whole thing is that um, people are asking people to do this kind of thing without like a real knowledge. It just seems like kind of a buzzword. Like, let's get on Twitter. Get it. Are you tweeting? Well, I, and actually, as a Twitter user myself, and I know you're a Twitter user, I love I love it. It's so funny because if you go into the like legislative stream, you know, like the AK leg hashtag and check out what's going on it's like you know a half dozen posts by jim stimful about marijuana and then it's a couple of sort of misguided uh tweets by different offices and then they have maybe like one or two likes and it's and maybe a retweet and it's really not like a conversation starter and it does seem like more of a liability than something that's actually like helping them have a conversation um and and if you go farther down in this letter uh frank says but hey, the clips must go on. The innocuous Facebooking must continue so we can get two likes and a comment from an insane person. I, I, I think that really sums up social media in government. <laughs> Are you still there? Did I lose you? Yeah, so um, my uh, power went out. Oh, wow. Did it come back on? Yeah. I'm, no, I'm sitting in a completely dark room. Oh, are you? and you're on your phone now, or...? Uh, yes. That's exciting. I, I, just thought I, I thought I'd just give you a call back. Yeah, thanks for calling back. I can continue, though. If, if I sound okay, I'm all right. You don't sound great. <laughs> I, so what I can do is I can continue like this, but I can plug my laptop in. Oh, yeah. I think my laptop should have juice, and I can record that on there. Okay, so your power went out, and we're halfway through this letter. We're going to try it, though. We're going to keep going. We're going to persevere. Um, so... Here's the two things that I want to tie together, and they're kind of farther apart in the document. And this is, again, we're still talking about the social media. And he says, trust me, when you guys put stuff on Facebook and Twitter, you're pretty much talking to yourselves, and you're already voting for you, so, you know. And then he goes on to say, but hey, the clips must go on. The innocuous Facebooking must continue so it can get two likes and a comment by an insane person. 
<laughs> that's probably the meanest part. But it's not necessarily untrue, though. Like I think that's one no. of the truest things that he's saying is like we need to keep Facebooking. Like if you look at their if you look at their Facebook page, there's like two likes and a comment by a crazy person. It's not, I mean, it's not <laughs> untrue. <laughs> uh, let's yeah. see. Do any of these I have mean, comments like, on them? None of these have comments on them. There's a couple that have likes. Let's see. Oh, there's one that has a comment. But yeah, I mean, like the question. I think the question you get back to with a lot of that stuff is like, why do you want to? Why do you want comments? Are you actively trying to engage people? Are you trying to get ideas? Are you trying to rally calls for your issues? What are you doing with it? Well, and, and, and that that's gets, we get back to the yeah. issue of the lack of com- communication. That's yeah. the thing. It's like communication. It, they keep talking about communication. This is all about communication. This entire letter, this entire job is about communication. But the thing is, it's it's a one way form of communication. Our political system is built on the politicians communicating outward, and they receive communication, but they do it in kind of a um, they do it in a different way. Like they they aren't um, they aren't in the business of having Facebook conversations about deep issues, and and they aren't. I don't know if they're conditioned to the the new way that people communicate now in in <laughs> one hundred and forty four characters or whatever, and so we they have a system where people submit POMs or letters or come into the office and they can kind of, um, they can filter that and funnel it and, uh, and get statistics on it. And they have like a system that's all built around that, but this, but it's changed. And I don't know that they're ready for that change. Like that's the, the problem with the press release. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that, you know, you see, um, some of them trying to get on to Facebook or Twitter and then, their accounts are all of a sudden blocking people and they don't like the message or they don't like the response they're getting. And so it's like, what are you doing? You know, what's your goal with this? One of the politicians that I follow is uh, Cory Booker and he's in, I think he's in New Jersey and he responds to everyone about everything. And he gets in like, you know, he gets in debates and uh, tweets about cats and like he just uses it. And then there's some people that just sort of like use it as like a, an, again, a shorter form press release. Like this is a thing that happened. This is a thing that happened. This is a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And it becomes that drumbeat. And I think that that's how a lot of newspapers actually use uh, social media as well. Like they're not really interested in the commentary. They're just interested in, in sending out their message. Yeah, and there's a lot of different approaches you take. I mean, you can do... You know, you can do the the rote live blog, and you can do the the snarky blog live blog, and you can just use it to post links to your stories. And there's sort of all sorts of different ways to do it. And I think it all again comes back to what are you trying to do with it? Okay, so there's the section about people's names on top of the form. Mm-hmm. Frank says, "Stop worrying about whose name is on top of the form. Nobody ever puts an image of our press release form in the newspaper, and and reporters and editors genuinely don't care." No, really, I was one of them. They don't care. It's, I mean, what it sounds like here is that people are bickering over whose name is at the top of the thing, of the thing as if it matters to someone somewhere or gives them more street cred or whatever. Although, um, to, 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 to their credit, yeah, to their nitpicky credit, um, is that sometimes, sometimes it does matter. And, but only, and the only does it ever kind of ever get noticed when there's kind of a contentious issue or it's a bipartisan issue and it's a press release coming from a Democrat and a Republican, then it's kind of interesting to see who's on top. But outside that, no, nobody cares. I think it gets at this idea of are we communicating or are we advertising? You know, like it doesn't matter whose name is on top of the form unless we're advertising that we are the, the best politician and we should be voted for. Yeah, this, the, 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 the issue of where... Um, your name appears on a press release, kind of smacks of. You ever heard of the, what is it? The bike bike shed. What color is the bike shed? This, no. This issue. Okay. It's this very weird internet trope, I guess. Um, basically, there was a message board, and they were talking about the color of the background, or or, or something like that, of, of the page. And this was the issue that everyone had um, an opinion about, you know. And it's kind of this. It happens a lot in like executive meetings too, or, or or meetings of any kind when you can't really affect 
you don't have any this as a committee if you don't have any ability to really affect the end product you end up kind of worrying about the window dressing you end up worrying about the color of the bike shed or whose name is on top of it when you don't have the ability to actually affect policy which is kind of the issue with the the minorities in the Alaska legislature is they don't really have any actual meaningful power down there so yeah like worrying about whose name is on top of the press release that's it's something kind of, they yeah, have. You got some time. Yeah, yeah they have agency over But if you over can't that. affect it, yeah, exactly, yeah. It's what they have agency over. That's that's interesting. I like that. Okay. I don't know if that's exactly the issue with the press release names, but, you know, it's kind of, you know, you look at these sort of nitpicky things, um, that's often the case, is that it's, it's what you can control um, and what you can decide. You Yeah, let's, let's argue over that. But even though those sort of things don't end up having you know, the biggest... Um, you know, impact on, on the whole product. So here's the thing that I thought was interesting. Even worse, don't tell the world the Republicans aren't doing what you want. It only makes you look weak and whiny. That's something as a, as a <laughs> citizen on the outside, before I even really started following politics, I always, it always made me bristle when the, it was just sort of like whatever the other guys are doing is bad because they're the other guys. Uh, in a real shallow, a real kind of short term, short sighted, kind of communications plan yeah i mean that's sort of the easy thing to do is to sort of point fingers right because everyone thinks government is bad and if you can get them to agree with you then you're you're winning <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh man we we skipped we kind of skipped over the part here where he says we don't always tell the truth um and then he goes into the details on um a specific um you know budgeting issue and he says, in my opinion, you got lucky the press decided not to blast you for it. One reporter told me he thought about it, but didn't do it. Yeah, so that that reporter that reporter might have been me. I can't totally remember, but I re- remember for sure that like a lot of us all kind of sort of sniffed around this plan a little bit. But for the most part, you know, everyone kind of came away with it, just sort of going, ugh, ugh, I don't, it's not really going to go anywhere either way, so... You know how much sort of scrutiny, scrutiny and effort do we need to put in into vetting this this project? So yeah, it's like smoke and mirrors a little bit. And and Frank says in his letter, he says that's not honest and it's hugely dangerous. I would have recommended not doing that, and I would have gotten in trouble for saying that. In my opinion, you got lucky. The press decided not to blast you for it. So if you're in the position where you're not going to get a lot done, you're in the minority of uh, five and a body of twenty, right? Um, then you can kind of say whatever you want and no one's going to really make a big deal out of it because it's not going anywhere. Is that? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds really bad on the it media's does. part. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah. I mean, so one of the, so one of the, the criticisms that uh, I think the media gets a lot in Alaska is that we sort of nitpick on Republicans a lot. And that, is kind of born out of the fact that the Republicans, for the most part, in recent years, have had most of the power. And so, um, you know, I think we would be poking at anybody who has power. You know, if it was a Democratic majority, um, they'd be getting the same kind of scrutiny. And so, you know, then it's, you get back to an issue. Well, I don't want to be too... I, I could say you get back to the issue of limited resources. You can only vet so many stories. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of... That's sort of a mealy-mouthed excuse, really. I mean, I think really the biggest thing is that, you know, we're trying to inform people on kind of the direction of things. And, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'm sounding just like these uh, the senators here. <laughs> so do you think that the press is overly friendly to the Democrats? Do you... Uh, like, there's this large um perception that the press is very liberal is that the case in alaska i think a lot of reporters kind of tend to like everybody but if you were to look at i think kind of a lot of their personal biases or the personal beliefs i guess yeah I, they, I think they kind of tend generally sort of trend more liberal um but i think there is a kind of yes there is a sense that reporters are more friendly to, to Democrats. And I think it goes back to the issue of kind of who's in power and who are we poking at the most. And it just happens to be that the Republicans are in power and those are who we're poking at um, the most. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm entirely convinced that, um, you know, if they 
if the uh, Democrats were in power. I'm not entirely convinced that their feet would be held to the flames in quite the same way, but I guess we'll, the pendulum will swing at some point in Alaska, Alaska's future, and we'll see how that works out. Um, let's just jump down to the end of the letter here. I think he, yeah. ra- he wraps it up with this sentence. Um, I think if you continue to do things the way you have, you'll continue to be in the minority. And people like me will continue to be disappointed with the kind of government I have. Uh, and that, for me, uh, m- actually really meant a lot. Like, I think there are so many people in this state who are disappointed with their government. And I don't know everything that we can do to address that, but I think there's got to be some things that we can do to address that. And I think that this idea of communicating better is a good start and learning to communicate with each other like human beings is like is i don't know it's part of why i want to do this show and i want to have conversations with you and tear this stuff apart and think about it <laughs> it's I, I think i think that communication is so important to community yeah yeah you dirty hippie no i'm just kidding <laughs> um yeah um hey man i shaved my beard last week <laughs> <laughs> no and you dressed up like a police officer right no well a private oh, investigator actually oh yeah, yeah. sorry it is that's the magnum pi, PI yes yeah. <laughs> um no so yeah this is this is a tough issue i think i think you know this there's kind of on one hand kind of conflating two issues here which is suggesting that if the minority was a stronger voice more effective that we would have a government that everyone would be happy with and I don't know about that, but I think there there is is kind of on both sides a sort of um, issue of being bold. I think this is one of one of the most interesting kind of things I, I heard, and I don't think he, he originally meant it like this, but um, was, was from Joe Miller in 2014 when he was running for Senate again. Um, he was asked at, at one of the forums up in Fairbanks. Um, one, what are the problems with the federal government? And uh, you know, two of them, I think, was the EPA and, and Barack Obama. I think, but the third point I thought was actually kind of interesting, which is um, people who lack the courage and convictions to do what they believe in. And you know, of course, I think in his his sort of um, political sphere, that's that's sort of the the brinksmanship. That's kind of this sort of inability to actually to work together. But I think that that this idea that politics is broken because people are unable to be bold and they're sort of playing safe is, yeah, that's totally, I think, a reason people are disappointed in government because people are so, I think there's this feeling that people are so, or politicians are so carefully um, watching you know, they're watching out for the re-election right, bid. They're parsing, they're not they're parsing every yeah. word. Yeah, totally. They they need to they need to have convictions and stand by them and instead of having this like mushy uh, effort to please everyone <laughs> is that yeah, is that kind of what not, you're saying? Yeah, and it's not getting you anywhere. I mean, like who who picks? You know, if you can if you can pick, you know, the far right and the well, I guess it's not a good example, but if you can pick like, you know, to a, a very you know if you can pick between like a blurry picture and something that's sharp like everyone regardless of what's the, in the sharp picture you'll pick that because it's it's more it's better to find it's just kind of a better feeling better looking product and um i i have a, a like a kind of a confession like i think i'm a blurry picture guy i think i actually you know i i admire conviction but i don't know that i feel like conviction gets us in trouble <laughs> No, you're right. I think there, there's, I, yes, the the courage part. I think is the the more important part of the courage and conviction equation. There, conviction that that sort of connotates, you know, people being unwilling to 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 change or change their viewpoint. That's that's different. That's not kind of what these people are talking about. This is talking about the courage to stand up for what you believe in, to be able to provide something that's the sort of tangible alternative uh, to what the mainstream is offering. Yeah. And yeah. And and uh, he's never never knocks him for for yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I mean the refrain in this letter is the future belongs to the bold and the, and we need to be more bold. We need to be more bold. We need to like have a plan and stick to it. And you know, the Republicans have a plan and they stick to it. And that's why they kick our asses. And that's I mean, that's kind of like what I'm getting out of this letter. But I I 
I don't know, I, but the, the subtext, the thing that, and I don't know if this is what he intended or not, but I feel like what he's really saying or what really is important here is that the, the way we communicate is broken. Not so much that our ideas are broken or that our, um, or that our, our hopes are broken, but that the way we communicate those to the people of Alaska are broken. And I think that that might be true for the, for at least for this, you know, group of people in the Senate right now. Like, I don't feel like I have a clear vision of what they want. No, no. And, and, and a lot of times it's contrarian at best. And no. that's not much of a viewpoint at all. All right. Time for poetry. <laughs> <laughs> So this one, uh, we're going back in the time machine a little bit here. This is November uh, 28th, back when this news broke and before uh, the power outages and the gear problems. Um, But anyways, without further ado. Family drama happens around Thanksgiving. Senate Democrats. Hashtag AK Ledge. The all-important hashtag. That's a fun hashtag to, to live in. I feel like there are, uh, I don't know, I feel like there are a dwindling number of us who participate in the off-season. <laughs> yeah, I know. It seems like a lot of stuff is actually transferred over to AKGov, which is more targeted at Walker, but I think AKLedge is a good catch-all. But yeah. Who knows? Yeah, and uh, we have a sponsor, so let's uh, play our, fir- our first wow. advertisement. Yeah, <laughs> this is exciting. All right. Um here it is. Okay, I'm uh, walking down the hall from my office. I can, I can smell popcorn in the air. Where's Colette Costa? Okay, I'm going up into the projection booth. Sneaking and, around. Yeah, this is for our for our podcast. And since you're <laughs> this ignorant is the, of all things, this, this is the ad. I'm equally ignorant. I want you to do an ad for the place. So to say, like, why should like what's coming up at Goldtown? Like, what's so cool about this place? And my seat fund. Yeah, <laughs> talk about your seat fund. Please, please give to my heavy cushion seat fund. The bigger the cushion, the better the pushing. <laughs> I didn't write that. What? The thicker the waistband, the, the thicker. Never mind. <laughs> oh. No, just uh, tell me about your Christmas thing that you're doing. Like, you, you what do you have coming up? Oh, you have right. Die Hard and Christmas stuff. Um, my goodness, Costa's sixth annual Christmas Bazaar Extreme Extravaganza. You've never been? Well, you don't know what you're missing. Okay, so every year at the theater here, you you do a big uh, Christmas spectacular. Yes, you we got do. dancing ladies and dancing mu- music and ukuleles. Uh, oh yeah, dancing so. girls. <laughs> We've had bagpipes, do, not this year. Do you also have dancing girls? We have some dancing girls, and then we have dancing ladies. When is it this year? This year it is 12, 12, 15, December 12th, Saturday, 4 p.m., 7 p.m. It is a throwback to Dean Martin-style variety shows. Um, Bill Murray actually stole my idea this year. Thanks, Bill. And we have six different musical acts, and we have performers, and we have presents and cookies, if someone's never been to the Goldtown Nickelodeon, what should they know about this place? Like, what kind of movies do you normally show here? Um, we do independent art house films, including documentaries and foreign films, and um, community events. We're a community-based art house theater venue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was a great ad. Thank you. All right. So if you want to check out our local community-based art house theater venue. Go down to Goldtown Nickelodeon and visit Colette Costa. As a Fairbankson who has very few movie theater establishment options, uh, I am always sure to check out what they're playing. Yeah, and if you are a small business owner or a nonprofit or a politician or anyone out there that has way too much money and needs to spend some of it on our podcast, we would be happy to advertise for you. We will come and we will interview you and do a goofy little advertisement and you will support our show and it will be fun. Um, yeah, anyways, so that's uh, that's that. We should probably wrap up here. Um What's the good news? What's going on? So a, a whole lot has been happening this week. Um, one of the things, though, that kind of blipped up on the radar and it's something we'll talk about soon is um, the Fairbanks Four. Um, these are a group of individuals in Fairbanks, obviously, who were um, uh, convicted of a murder in 1997, and they've always maintained their um, their innocence since then. Um, they're going through a big 
their latest kind of trial to prove their innocence. Um, very emotional, very charged. Um, we'll, and of course, we'll talk about it soon. Um, but the news this week, uh, at least for a day or so, was that they were going to get out. That they were the the state had um, reached an agreement, kind of agreeing that yeah, maybe they shouldn't be in there. And uh, it looks like that was going to happen on Friday. Um, the latest news now is that it's on hold. The judge isn't sure he has the authority to do it, but um, the whole idea is that you know we're trying to uh, right what appears to many people to be a wrong um, committed that took you know half of these young men's life away. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, so, so something is going to come from it um, at some point. Whether or not it's now or later or. Eight months from now is all yet to be decided at this point. It's all up in the air. But uh, a lot of people are very excited about it up here. Yeah, I, I don't really know a lot about the Fairbanks 4 case. I'm really excited uh, that you have been covering it and that I get to learn more about it from you. Um, so that's yeah. something we're going to do in our future episode. Uh, maybe next episode mm-hmm. is our fourth episode. Let's do it then. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe a couple more after that. It's like one of those really dense... If you guys thought the air quality... And uh, political resignations were dense. Uh, just get ready for this. Okay, so. maybe we can break it up. We'll just yeah. do. Let's cover the background <laughs> next time. We'll just. I want to. I want a good base layer. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay. Well, okay. So my good news. Um, I I've just been really busy lately, and a lot of fun community events. Uh, I was part of the Juno Public Market that happened just after Thanksgiving, and then we had a big gallery walk the following weekend. And it feels like this time of year, everyone kind of comes out and faces off against the darkness and has these big events and parties and concerts. And, uh, it's just been a blast. There's been a ton of people running around. People are visiting home. Um, a lot of people haven't seen in years and, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just great to see the community, um, hustling. And I I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things that I always loved about, um, Juno and, and Fairbanks and everywhere else that I've ever visited in Alaska is that there's this real, um, I think attention and appreciation for, uh, kind of like local culture. And I think a lot of people are, you know, no one's really getting rich on any of it. Maybe some people are making a living, but all that effort and all that blood, sweat and tears really just makes Alaska that much better. All right, so uh, that's it. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find us at helloalaska.pizza. Um, you can write us at heyguys at helloalaska.pizza, or you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Alaska Robotics. And I'm at FEM Politics. All right. Goodbye, Alaska. Bye. I don't know if we have any listeners, but if we do have listeners, and if those listeners live in Juno, and if those listeners live in Juno and have access to a, to an apartment, Matt is looking for a place to live when he when he moves down here to cover the legislative session, right? I am. I really am. So what do you uh, what do you need? You're a you're a smoker. You have uh, seven dogs. You uh, <laughs> what are you, what are your needs? No, I, my need is basically a place to uh, sleep. And a place to make uh, some food, and a place to take a shower about once a week. Are you noisy? No, no, I'm not noisy. I, I go to bed early. I work too much, so I'm rarely ever there. Uh, um, but no, but I'm, I'm easy. I think I'm easy. Would you clean do, up after myself? Would you need? A, uh, would you need your own space, or do you want just like a room? Like, would you rent a room? No, I can do a room. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. If you've got a room or an apartment, <laughs> get a hold of Matt and uh, sort it out. <laughs> Do 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 do